0: This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. The U.S. Senate has passed the Inflation Reduction Act, sending it to the House for its consideration on Friday, August 12th. While its supporters claim it will combat inflation by raising more in taxes than it spends, and also includes hundreds of billions in green energy subsidies, the bill's most profound effect on Americans will be the changes it makes to our nation's healthcare system. Seeking a savings of over $400 billion over the next 10 years, lawmakers are mandating price controls over those drugs purchased by Medicare by reducing the time in which drug companies can freely set prices for their newest discoveries. While in the short term, insurance companies may pass along the savings of lower priced drugs, The long-term effects on the pharmaceutical industry could be to substantially hobble new drug discovery and jeopardize the health of a sector that represents 3.5% of U.S. GDP and directly employs nearly a million people. For Massachusetts residents who enjoy the lion's share of those high-paying STEM jobs, the negative growth effects would extend to research labs, hospital grants, production facilities, and intellectual property assets. Should our Massachusetts House delegation vote to support this bill despite its potential harm to a vibrant local industry? Or should Democrats and Republican voters alike, regardless of their view of other aspects of the Inflation Reduction Act, contact their representatives and tell them to vote no? My guest today is Pioneer Institute's visiting fellow of life sciences, Dr. Bill Smith. Bill will share his views on the aspects of the Inflation Reduction Act that directly affect the pharmaceutical industry and explain why the well-intended provisions in the bill may have the effect of severely reducing new drug discovery, raising the long-term costs of our healthcare system, and jeopardizing a Massachusetts-centered industry that is a crown jewel of the American economy. When I return, I'll be joined by Dr. Bill Smith. Hey, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Silvaji, and I'm now pleased to be joined by a Hubwonk listener favorite and Pioneer Institute visiting fellow in life sciences, Dr. Bill Smith. Welcome back to Hubwonk, Bill. Thank you, Joe. Glad to be here. Okay. Now, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, I want to put some context. We're recording this podcast Monday, August 8th. Um, we had planned this episode on short notice to hopefully activate our listeners to reach out to their their uh, congressman or congress congressional representative and make um, Uh, to either make changes or to repeal altogether uh, or not pass the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which just passed in the U.S. Senate and is headed to the House of Representatives this Friday. Uh, So that's our goal, to to activate our listeners. um, And uh, and we want to activate them for a particular aspect of this rather large, I think it's a $791 billion bill, uh, and that's how it affects the drug industry. Uh, So let's it's a complex issue. Uh, It's an important issue. It affects us here, Massachusetts, particularly. So let's start at the beginning, uh, at the very beginning, with um, how drug companies make their money, particularly how patents affect how drug companies make their money. So, Bill, you are a a student of the uh, U.S. pharmaceutical industry. Let's start at the beginning. How do drug companies make money and how do drug patents affect how they make their money?
1: Well, pharmaceutical companies Joe invest huge sums in R and D. They're the most R and D intensive industry in the world, uh, and they uh, they try to find uh, new discoveries, new drugs. Uh, in if they get a promising molecule in the R and D process, typically they'll put a patent on it, and it, because they think they think it's going to work. Ninety um, percent of them don't work. Ninety <laughs> percent of clinical trials fail, but. You know, they they put patents on on promising molecules that patent lasts for 20 years. But part of that time, they're not selling the drug because it's in the R&D process, not been approved by the FDA yet. So if they can get it through the clinical trials and approved by the FDA, they might have 13, 14 years to sell it as a patented product. And what a patented product means is that nobody can copy it and sell it. You can see you're, you're the exclusive seller of that particular product. And that's where they make their money because they can price it in a way it's that essentially they have a monopoly on that product for a certain period of time. When that pat- patent expires, generic companies can come in and copy it. And typically the price drops dramatically, maybe 95 percent.
0: All right. So let me let me unpack that. So what we're talking about with a patent in uh, a drug Is you've got an exclusive right to sell, as you say, a monopoly that lasts a fixed number of years uh, for a particular molecule. And then ultimately market forces take over. When it's no longer a monopoly, somebody who just can take the formula and make it cheaper uh, sells it for the price of making a pill, which is is negligible. So how long is it now? Uh, And I think there's a differentiation in this bill between large molecules and small molecules. Tell us now how long the uh, patent is and then give us a little overview of what the difference
1: between, as you mentioned, molecules. Yeah, so that the bill doesn't necessarily address patents, although it essentially does. What it says is um, drugs that don't have any competition, meaning they're in the patented phase. If you're a small molecule drug, we can start putting price controls, the federal government could start putting price controls in Medicare on that bill after nine years. For biologics or more complex molecules, they they give 13 years before they'll allow uh, price controls to kick in. Um, that that bifurcation uh, between small molecules and large molecules, I think is very unhealthy for the system because right now the patent life is equivalent to for both those types of drugs. And what will happen, undoubtedly, is if, if this bill becomes law, pharma companies and biotech companies will start pouring money into biologic drugs, those large molecule drugs, because they, they get longer period without price controls, or they get four more years to sell without price controls. And small molecule drugs will be neglected. And small molecule drugs are typically the ones you get in the pharmacy in a pill and, and it, it comes in a yellow bottle. Those are the ones that really drop in price when the patent expires that because generic copy generic companies can easily copy a small molecule drug large molecule drugs are harder to copy they're harder to manufacture the molecule itself is larger and more intricate and so manufacturing it is very difficult and copying it is very difficult so you you get a reduction in so-called uh, biosimilars there'll be a reduction in price but it won't be the same amount of reduction that you'll find with small molecule drugs
0: so, OK, for the lay people in our audience, what we're talking about is small molecules are um, uh, they come in pill form and you get them, uh, go to CVS and you get your prescription. And you uh, take them yourself, you yeah, know, you take them yourself. And, and the large ones are the ones maybe in a syringe that you're going to go to a doctor and, and under the the
1: care of a uh, supervision of a nurse or a doctor, you're going to get that in a hospital. So far more yeah, it might be infused, might be injected, but typically you might have to go to a, a specialty pharmacy to get administered that mo- large molecule drug. So you've got drug companies, and they've got a choice. They can plow
0: our research and development into small or large, and this incentive change in incentive structure rather than having an even playing field will steer them away from the uh, shorter uh, period of time of, of let's say price uh, prerogative uh, and and steer towards where they'll have a thirteen year window before uh, price controls kicking rather than the nine-
1: year window where price controls kick. right. Out. So the four year differential, is is worth billions of dollars to pharma companies. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna look for large molecule drugs, and and they're gonna cancel uh, research projects for small molecule drugs. There's there's just no doubt.
0: So, in economics, perhaps uh, at a very basic level, one company's profits is at one can another consumer's costs. Why isn't the savings of billions of dollars to drug consumers not good
1: news? Well, because. <laughs> As I said, you know, if you dry up the pipeline for small molecule drugs, you're going to have less generics, and generics are a very important saver of funds for the healthcare system. Uh, you know, I, I've said this before on your podcast, but um, when I was at Pfizer, uh, Lipitor was our largest selling drug. It sold for about four dollars a pill, um, which isn't which is relatively inexpensive, but it's four dollars a day. Um, so. When it went generic, however, when its patent expired, it, its price dropped from four dollars a day to four cents a day, um, I've been told by some insurance executives. So the savings for generic small molecule drugs is enormous. And if you dry up the pipeline for those, you're going to you're going to end up costing consumers more money out of pocket. They're not going to be able to go get a generic drug for five dollars. Uh, they're going to be paying co-insurance and and uh, deductibles on a large molecule drug that that's more expensive.
0: So okay, we're we're really talking about removing some of the financial incentives to develop new drugs. But again, as someone coming from the drug industry, um there'll be fewer new drugs developed, but aren't drug companies already making such a fortune that surely just making slightly less won't put the wet blanket on on the R&D pipeline? Do you do you, do you think it will?
1: Well, if you, if you look at Avalier did a study on, on this bill, and they they argued that over 10 years, this bill would result in a, a revenue loss for the industry of $455 billion. Now, that's about 15% of, of industry revenue. I don't know many companies that can take a 15% hit in revenue and not scale back R&D and, and other expenses. So the, the the industry is definitely going to contract and that's going to have an impact. that's going to ripple into the biotech community, into hospitals, into developers who build lab space, into anybody who makes money off this industry.
0: Yeah, I um, in preparing for today's show, I did uh, quite a bit of research and found a very recent report uh, from the University of Chicago that sort of gave an overview of the pharmaceutical industry. I'll just take a, a, an aside and just read the Sort of the intro of or summary of the finding. It said the pharmaceutical industry accounts for 3.4% of the gross domestic product, yet it conducts 17% of all business funded research and, and development, R&D investment. It spent nearly a trillion dollars on research and development between 1999 and 2020 uh, with an increase of more than 50% between 2015 and 2020, when that total reached 91 billion in one year. The increased R&D was accompanied by a 60% increase in Food and Drug Administration annual average drug approval, so they're approving more drugs over that time. In addition, the pharmaceutical industry reinvests 27.7% of its sales into R&D, approximately six times higher than similar investments in other industries. Uh, This is where it gets into detail. The economic impact of the pharmaceutical industry goes beyond the 811,000 direct employees who have good jobs at high wages and includes the highest percentage of STEM workers by supporting another 4 million jobs many of them here in Massachusetts. And of course, the industry creates safe and effective COVID-19 vaccines in an extraordinary short period of time, along with new treatments which have saved and will save millions of lives. So that's a sort of a a rah-rah for the industry and gives you a sense of the size and scope and how much R&D is going into it. Um, Why is such a a positive industry, such an industry that saves so many millions of lives, why do you think it's painted with the black hat? Why is it so maligned in today's media and,
1: and political rhetoric? Well, Joe, I I think I'd have to wax philosophical Mm -hmm. about that question, because um, I think what what happens with pharma companies and and to some degree oil companies, when you make a product that people need as an essential product for them to live, price is always going to be politically controversial. Um, Nobody cares about the price of a Maserati, right? The Maserati can price their sports cars any way they choose, and they're not going to be politically uh, um, damaged. But when you get into industries that make essential or life-saving products, the price becomes a political football, um, and, and, and that's the case. That's the case in the pharmaceutical industry, particularly with the patent issue that we talked about, where they have monopoly pricing for a certain period of years. Um, they, now, when I say they have monopoly pricing, they can product price their product the way they want, but th- there's not necessarily a lack of competition. There may be different molecules that work on the same disease that they have to compete with on price and other things. Um, so it, it's not a monopoly in the pure sense of the word, um, but they do get to price their product the way they want when it's under patent.
0: Indeed. And you and I, again, uh, we're covering some familiar old ground here. Um, you're coming from the uh, pharmaceutical industry, but we've talked about many of the, the opportunities for savings in the healthcare industry. I think a lot of people imagine all the healthcare costs, uh, again, we we have per capita twice what the rest of the the, the modern uh, um, first world or uh, whatever we wanna call it, our, our uh, world competitors, we pay twice as much on our healthcare system as they do. And a lot of people want to um, uh, attribute that increase in cost to high drug costs. Uh, let me, uh, again, I, I, we, we've heard how you see the industry. Let me just, again, quote from that same University of Chicago um, a study, which said, the primary source of spending in healthcare In the United States is on labor, such as doctors, nurses, or assistants, which make up over 70% of overall spending, similar to other U.S. industries. We find that during the last 20 years, profits and sales by research-based pharmaceutical companies have made up only 1% and 7.5% of total healthcare spending, respectively. So uh, in addition, annual sales growth contributed to negative 4.5% to annual growth in total healthcare spending owing to some drug costs lagging increases in overall health spending increases. We therefore summarize the evidence based on the impact of biopharmaceutical innovation on overall healthcare spending, which has been addressed by a large literature of so-called cost offset of new drugs. We find that these studies report an average cost offset for medical innovation or total cost decrease of $151 per new drug we estimate how much recently proposed US price controls on drugs in the US would raise healthcare spending and find that the total healthcare spending would increase by 50.8 billion over the next 20-year period. So what they're saying is by controlling costs we reduce innovation and we increase costs to US healthcare consumers. It seems counterintuitive, but the
1: research suggests it is so. Say more about why you think this is this is. Well, let's ma- let's make it sort of intuitive because I have a, a real life anecdotal example of how um, new drugs end up saving the healthcare system money. My younger sister was for many years a cardiac surgical nurse. She assisted cardiologists in doing bypass surgery and and business was good. She was doing two or three operations a day sometimes. Um, and, but statin drugs had not yet appeared on the market. And when statin drugs appeared on the market, she became a hospital administrator because nobody was doing cardiac bypass surgery, which runs between $100,000 and $200,000. So for an inexpensive statin pill prevented a large number of, of cardiac bypass operations and all the labor costs, all the operating room costs associated with those. So yes, it's, it may sound counterintuitive that spending on drugs saves money, but in real life, it's it's not counterintuitive. There are there are many many examples of how a drug therapy talk about hepatitis C or how a drug therapy saves so many costs on in the out years, um, and that that Chicago study that that you referenced basically concluded that price controls would reduce the number of new drugs by 135. And the cost savings from 135, the loss of 135 drug, new drugs would raise healthcare spending overall by $50 billion over 20 years. So, you know, it may sound counterintuitive, but I don't believe it to be, because if you have a very effective drug therapy, you're going to prevent surgeries and doctor visits and MRIs and a lot of things.
0: Yes, I think it's a really a time function. I, I think the supporters of, uh, of this kind of legislation imagine... Everything that needs to be invented has been invented, and therefore let's wave a wand and make it all free, not accounting for all the drugs that will not be developed into the future. And if we think, okay, everything's already been invented, imagine if we had taken that position 20 years ago, you described the, the creation of statins. Um, we didn't know there was such a thing, and now there is. And 20 years hence, there may be other fantastic new cures, let's let's say Alzheimer's or, or who knows, That will never be realized because people will not have an incentive to take the chance, do the R and D, develop it, and ultimately, with the payoff of
1: of a a new drug, is that? Do I think you think I have it about right? Yeah, it's uh, it's. I think it's even more tragic than the way you describe it because we are on the cusp of so many breakthroughs. You know, with the mapping of the human genome and gene therapies and cell therapies, all these breakthroughs are. We're right on the cusp of of curing terrible diseases like sickle cell disease and hemophilia, whole bunch of really tragic disease that play, plagued mankind for forever. And uh, to take this amount of R&D money out of the system right now is just tragic, in my view, um, because we are on the cusp of some incredible breakthroughs.
0: Now, pi- Pioneer and, and, and this podcast, we we don't live in the ether. We... we... Um, broadcasting from high atop a Beacon Hill. And um, so we live in Massachusetts and um, this is not just an academic question. This is a industry that is very important to our, uh, um, our economy. So this particular topic touches two things we like to talk about here on Hubwonk. We like to talk about healthcare and uh, innovations and ways to uh, make it more efficient, more effective, more valuable. Uh, but also we wanna make our local economy thrive uh, and we are, you know, Ed's and Meds, Meds being uh, half of our uh, value add here. Uh, describe for our listeners what you think this could do to our local economy, not just to, you know, the overall healthcare
1: system of the United States, but to our local healthcare uh, economy. Well, there's no doubt this bill is going to be damaging to the, the Boston, Cambridge economy. I mean, it's. A $455 billion loss in revenue. Um, The majority of of biopharma companies are US companies. Uh, They're going to be disproportionately impacted by this bill, and then Boston and Cambridge will be disproportionately impacted by them. So, uh, you know, it's not just the big pharma companies that are going to get hurt. You know, small biotech entrepreneurs found companies hoping they'll be bought someday by a big pharma company. Uh, There'll be fewer of those acquisitions, there's no doubt, because they're going to take a lot of cash out of the system. Um, If you're a real estate developer, you've been building lab space hand over fist for the last three decades. uh, Demand for lab space is going to decline. There's just there's no doubt in my mind that. that, So it's it's not uh, clinical trials in hospitals. You know, hospitals run a lot of clinical trials for biopharma companies. Uh, there are going to be fewer of those trials, there's just, there's no doubt, um, with a loss of revenue of, of this amount, there'll be fewer trials. So it's 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 not just the, the big pharma companies that are going to get hurt, the whole ecosystem in the Boston area economy that depends upon pharmaceutical and biotech revenue is going to be hurt.
0: As we mentioned earlier in that study, um, the cost of uh, drugs represents 7.5% of healthcare spending, right? That, that leaves another 92.5% of uh, spending that we're not going to address at all with, with this issue. And now many of our uh, listeners are uh, people who uh, describe themselves as Democrats and support Democratic uh, legislation. And this is a, you know, characterized as a highly uh, partisan supported um, uh, Democratic piece of legislation. It just passed the Senate 51 to 50. Uh, and it's headed to the House on Friday um, uh, for passage uh, for our listeners who are Democrats. And we have an entire you know, our nine uh, uh, congressmen, uh, congresspeople from uh, Massachusetts are all Democrats. What can our listeners who are are really uh, surprised and disappointed by this feature of the bill, what can they do? What, what if if they want to become activated and they want to pick up the phone or write the letter uh, in anticipation of Friday's vote? What can they do to uh, put the brakes or perhaps encourage uh, their representative to vote against this bill?
1: Yeah, I know. I know there, there are many popular provisions on, uh, in this bill uh, for the Democratic constituency, clean energy and things like that. And I'm no expert in that area, so I can't offer commentary on that. But I can offer the fact that the Boston area will be disproportionately harmed by the. Drug provisions in this bill, Um, and so if your family or you work in that industry or you depend in some way on sales to that industry, you may want to call your congressman and tell him to vote against this bill. Uh, That's that's of course your choice, but I have very strong feelings that the bill is going to harm. By twenty thirty, it's going to harm the Boston area economy. Indeed, if you're in the industry, uh, this is
0: a bad. Uh, Bill, but if you plan to be old and sick someday and need some of these drugs that have yet to be developed, uh, you also have skin in the game and may also be um, uh, energized and activated to call your, your congressman and say, this is a bad idea. Let's uh, perhaps uh, kick it back and, and and come
1: up with something better uh, to control. Absolutely. You know, Joe, as I said, uh, there are going to be many thousands of research projects canceled. And the number one therapeutic area for R&D in the biopharmaceutical sector is, is oncology, is cancer. Um, there are a thousand research projects to treat uh, rare cancers. A lot of those are gonna be canceled. There's just no doubt about that. And, and I'm, I'm not waving the bloody shirt here. I'm, I'm just looking at the economics of this bill. And, and cancer is the number one area for R&D. And th- there's just no way it's not gonna get imp- harmfully impacted.
0: Okay Bill we've talked about the US uh, healthcare economy and we've even uh, drilled down to ha- the effect it will have on our Massachusetts biotech uh, and pharmaceutical industry let's let's change our focus more globally if if the US and you know we acknowledge at the top of the show is a global leader this is one of our you know, uh, uh, key industries as as a nation if we start pumping the brakes and saying okay uh let's target uh, our R&D, let's slow down the conveyor belt of new drugs. Well, what's likely to be the the global reaction to our slowdown, our, our handicapping
1: ourselves here in the US? What will the rest of the world, how will they react? I think what this bill does, and and I, 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 it's not too strong to say this, is this, this bill is anti-American and pro-Chinese. Um, the U.S. Uh, biopharmaceutical industry is the, one of the crown jewels of American industry. Uh, we do half of the R&D projects um, around the world. Most of the new drugs that are discovered are discovered in the U.S. and many in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, but China's working very hard to catch up. Um, they are subsidizing their biopharmaceutical companies. They are here in our universities sometimes taking knowledge that they shouldn't take uh, and taking it back to China to help their biopharmaceutical sector. And they have grown from in about 3% of, of worldwide R&D projects in 2006 to about 17%. They basically caught the Europeans as far as investment in bi- biopharmaceutical R&D. What this bill targets, people should understand, is the top 50 or 60 selling drugs in the world. And those top 50 or 60 selling drugs are overwhelmingly American drugs invented by American companies with American employees based in the United States. There are no Chinese drugs on that list. So what this bill is doing is targeting American companies and American employees and reducing revenues for American companies. At the same time, China's working feverishly to catch up in this sector and making progress. So I just this this aspect of the bill hasn't been discussed by many people, but it's very alarming to me because it it really biases things towards the Chinese biopharmaceutical market.
0: In, indeed, you and I have talked about the fact that uh, whether for better or for worse, the U.S. Uh, effectively um, subsidizes uh, uh, new drug discovery for the entire world. Meaning, when we invent it here, we invent it everywhere. Uh, the world gets a lot healthier. Effectively, and now uh, it may be China who's doing that um, and our industry, uh, I won't say will
1: shrivel on the vine, but will substantially shrink. My guess is under this bill, not a single Chinese discovered drug will be subject to price controls, not one. And the, the lion's share, the vast majority, more than 80 percent of the drugs will be drugs discovered by American companies.
0: Indeed. Well, again, your your opinion to share, many, many of our guests in the past that we've, we've had on um to help us understand uh, the COVID epidemic of epidemiologists, uh, virologists, uh, research people who have had as guests on Hubwonk have, have reached out to me and said, Joe, this uh, this is going to harm a lot of people in our region and, and the healthcare industry in general. Please please do something about it. Hence the reason for having you on bill today uh, at this 11th hour uh, um, before the bill uh, goes to the house. So uh, I appreciate your time on the show. And uh, thanks thanks for joining me
1: here today on Hubwonk. Joe, my pleasure. I wish it was a happier topic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute. If you enjoyed today's show, there are several ways to support Hubwonk and Pioneer Institute. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. If you'd like to make it easier for others to find Hubwonk, it would be great if you offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. We're always grateful if you want to share Hubwonk with friends. If you have ideas or comments or suggestions for me about episode topics for the future, you're welcome to email me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk.